Am I on there now, Lee? Check. Hello. I'm I'm on here. Oh, sorry. This is on. Can that can that go off? Yeah. Thanks. Good. Well, welcome here this morning. You can turn in your Bible to First Peter. If uh, you're visiting with us, or if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'm going to give you a real quick uh, context, kind of background, so you are caught up and you understand uh, what's happening here. Um, First Peter is a, is a very timely book, uh, specifically this morning, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but what Peter's been doing so far in, in the first kind of few sections is Peter's reminded the people that he's writing to, which are various Christians all uh, dispersed all throughout kind of a, a pretty big geographical area, and he refers to them as exiles because he's reminding them that this earth is not your home. That if you are a follower of Christ, that you are here for purpose, you have meaning, but that your home ultimately is with Christ in glory in heaven. And so we need to live with that reminder, and and, and that's a good reminder for all of us because the world is pretty alluring sometimes and we get sucked in real fast. Is we think that we need a little bit more money or a little bit more possessions or a little bit more fame, popularity, whatever it might be, and we kind of buy into some of those things, but the reality is is that when we die, none of those things go with us. None of them. But if we are a follower of Christ, when we die, everything will be better. And everything will be greater than anything we could have ever imagined. And so Peter's trying to remind them of that. Uh, he talks about the difficulties and the struggles that we're going to face, uh, both in the context of just the reality of we live in a broken and fallen world, and we have pain, and we have hurt, and we have people that we love that, that pass away and we grieve and we mourn. But then also he says there's also the reality that we sometimes are unjustly treated. Is that sometimes we go through pain and hurt and heartache and, and seemingly there's no obvious reason for those things. And what Peter reminds us is that God has placed those into our path for a reason. And that reason is so that we learn to cling tighter to him and less to the world. And that is something that we always need to be reminded of is that it's in him that we trust, not in ourselves. He continues on uh, in the latter part of chapter 1, and he talks about preparing your mind for action, that as Paul says in, in, uh, in Ephesians, he talks about the, the spiritual armor that we need to put on when we're about to walk out our door, really. is We need to prepare ourselves, because uh, Peter's going to talk about this in a few weeks, but he says that Satan prowls around like a, like a lion ready to devour that's his goal. He's after us. He's trying to hurt us. He's trying to make us lose our faith. And so Peter and Paul uh, are reminding us that we need to prepare our minds for action so that we are aware of what's coming. So that when we walk out of our door, that we have purpose and we have meaning. And that also means we are going to have obstacle because Satan does not want us to declare the name of Christ. And so he calls us to a couple of things. He calls us to set our hope in Christ who is going to come a second time and all wrongs will be made right. He tells us to be holy as he is holy. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is We still have reality in us that we want the things of the world. The Bible references this way. We have this sin nature that we're born sinful. And then when we give our lives to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. But for the rest of our lives, we're going to battle those two natures now. And what Peter's telling us, what Scripture tells us, is that once you have been given the Holy Spirit, you're no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to give in to the passions of the flesh, but now you can live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And then lastly, he tells us in that last part of chapter 1 is that we are to love one another. So he's talking specifically about the body of Christ and he's saying that, that the world should look at the body of Christ and they should go, why on earth do they love each other so much and are so such a tight family? That ought to be how the world looks at us. Not with the sense that we think we're better or we're greater or anything like that, but that we care for one another with such a deep devotion that when we know of a need, we step out and we fulfill that need and we help. That's what we're called to do. Then he starts to talk in chapter 2, which we looked at last week, the first kind of 12 verses. And this whole section in chapter 2 has been about identity. It's about here's who you were, but now here's who you are. And we talked last week about the importance of recognizing that our career or, or anything else for that matter, our, our view of being a, a father or a husband or any of those things, that's not where identity is placed. Our identity is placed and we are a child, a son and daughter of the king. And if we can view things in that context, then how we live will flow out of that rather than saying, well, I'm a accountant. Sorry, I don't mean to pick on accountants. That's the first thing that popped into my head but to look at it and go, this is my job, this is what I do, this is who I am. And Peter's saying, no, that's not who you are. Who you are is a child of of God. And we need to think and remind ourselves of that often. And then he finishes the text again by saying, so because you have this identity, because you are this new creation, here's how you ought to live. Not like this, not like the world. Not like when we turn on the TV and we see fighting and arguing and we want to stand up for our opinion and, and belittle others. And Peter says, get away with, get, get rid of all of that. And so that brings us to this morning's text. And this morning's text is, is uncomfortable, painful, and has a lot of implications. It's not easy. October 21st is what? I don't know if you've been around a lot, but it's a little bit contentious right now you go on social media, there's maybe just a little bit of fighting. We live in a very politically volatile time in the States, in Canada, uh, in the UK. There's, There's so much animosity that's going on, and Peter's about to tell us some very, very difficult things about that. And so we're going to read this section together, and then we're going to open it up a little bit. So verse 13 of chapter 2, Peter says this to us, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This very opening verse is filled with stuff we just don't like. It's just the reality. Be subject to every human institution. Now, just a brief background here. They're living in a time of the emperor, and this is Nero. And Nero was amongst the most brutal people that lived as far as Christianity went. His persecution took a whole new meaning in the, in the early church here, and people were being killed and burned alive. Uh, he crucified Peter. Uh, Peter asked to be upside down because he said he wasn't worthy of being crucified in the same way as Christ. Uh, people, Christians were torn in half. They were lit on fire in the city. Just crazy things. And so we might look at it and we might say, well, we don't have an emperor. Well, that's good. That means it's actually a lot easier for us. Technically speaking, now I'm not trying to get into a political debate here, um, but technically speaking, we live in this democracy, right? We live in a place where we get a vote. We get a say. Now, sometimes our say doesn't go with the majority, and we have to wrestle with some of those things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But technically, we are governed by the people. And so in a lot of ways, that makes our part of the world one of the top places in the world where people from all over the world want to come and live because of our freedoms, because of what we do have. problem is, so often, what we have becomes normal, and all of a sudden, what becomes normal becomes expected, and all of a sudden, we start fighting this attitude of, we deserve this. We deserve religious freedom. We should have religious freedom. But where in the Bible do we see that? And in fact, my argument would be, is that everywhere where it's illegal to be a Christian is where the church is rapidly growing, and where we tend to live, where we have religious freedom, the church is shrinking dramatically. Why is that? Perhaps it's because we've gotten this attitude of entitlement where we think we deserve things that we don't. And, and I've talked about this often, but if we can have a right view of God, we'll have a right view of ourselves. And when we understand ourselves, we realize that we deserve nothing. But God in his grace has reached out to us and has sent Jesus Christ to the cross for us. So it's a wonderful thing. Now, I'm not trying, again, to say that our political structure is perfect or it's good, but we are told to submit to every human institution. So that's not just, like, that's all levels of government, right? That means when we get in our cars after church and we drive 110 through the park, right, we're not submitting to the authorities. And we have all kinds of reasons, right? And, and we say, well, you know, this one really doesn't matter. My, my favorite one is I have a friend who's a cop in Moose Jaw. And, uh, and speeding is just, it's just what happens in our culture. And he pulls someone over for speeding and here's things that they say. Why aren't you out there arresting the real criminals? Because we have this level of, well, that's an okay law to break. Some of them are not, but this one's okay. Everyone does this. It's, right? We justify. That's just what we do. We have crews. We could just set it right there and not even worry, but we don't have time for that. If you do the math, from here to Canmore, whatever, 22-odd kilometers, and you go 10 kilometers an hour faster, how much faster are you getting there? Two minutes. We're in a pretty big hurry, aren't we? Like, if we can't make it two minutes, like, we're, no, no, no. This, I got no time for this person. Driving 92, not acceptable. <laughs> this is the reality, is, is sometimes we're really good at some things, like, like we look at it and we go, okay, don't murder, no problem, I got that. 
But then we start to justify reasons why, well, some of these laws, and this is another argument my friend always gets, um, is, well, you don't pull people over unless they're going 10 kilometers an hour over, so we're allowed to go 10 kilometers over. You ever done that with your kids? Like, here's the rule, but I'm not going to punish you until here. What, what are they going to do? They're going to push that boundary. In fact, they're going to push it quite a bit past that because that's what we do as humans. But here's what Peter is saying to us. Honor or be subject to or submit to every institution. But notice what the wording is in that verse. Why are we supposed to do that? For the Lord's sake. We're not actually submitting to our governing authorities because of who they are. We're submitting to them because of who God is. God has placed them. I'm going to read you a verse here from Romans just so that this gets real clear. Romans 13 verse 1 says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. That's a verse we don't like. And the implications there are incredible and they're difficult. Because what it seems to say then is that every leader that comes to power, that God has purpose and meaning for that and he has ordained that time. And how do we process that? With, with the incredible brutality that has existed when, when warlords come into power and they have power over an area and, and they kill people and there's genocide and all these things. And we look at it and we go, God, how, this doesn't make sense. Why would you allow these things to happen? And again, I, I don't have good answers for that. The Bible doesn't ever give us the very final picture on every single thing so that we don't have to believe in faith. The Bible just acts us, or, or calls us to be obedient to what God says. And I don't know why God has allowed certain things to happen. I don't know why certain leaders come into power, but what I do know is we're called to submit to them. Now we have to be clear here, submitting to them does not mean that we do what they do. That's the key. It doesn't mean that we do what they do. In fact, in, uh, in Acts, we read the story about Peter uh, and some of his other friends who were, who were out proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And in verses kind of 17 to 42, you see how this starts to play out. And they actually get arrested, and they're being falsely accused of all kinds of other things. Um, and then Peter actually defends himself, and he says this, we must obey God rather than men. So, does that contradict what he's just said here, that we're supposed to be subject uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, but, but we're also supposed to be subject to God? And my argument is simply, you can do both. We will honor and we will obey God because what God has said is true and what God has said is right. And if a governing authority puts something into power that goes against Scripture, then we will not give in to those things. But that doesn't mean that we can't submit to our leading or our, our authorities. The problem is our world has come to this conclusion that if you disagree with someone, that you have to be ignorant towards them. And that's not true. We can disagree on all kinds of things and yet love one another, respect one another, and honor one another. And Peter is trying to say to them, don't just go and fight the emperor because you don't like what he's saying or what he's doing. So again, this is really practical for us. In two weeks' time, roughly, the election comes, and if the outcome is different than we want, we can do what happened in the States, and we can say, not my president or not my prime minister. Or we can look at it and we can say, this isn't the way that I had hoped things would happen, but God is sovereign. And God has purpose and meaning this. And while I don't know what that is, and sometimes we'll never figure some of those things out. Sometimes hindsight will help. 
But we can look at it and we can say, God, I will honor them because you have established that authority. And whether they choose to submit to you or not is between them and God. But we can submit to every human institution. And, and why? Notice he says this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We're not to fight and argue and start big battles. We're supposed to live in such a way that people look at it and they go, we can't even say anything bad about what they're doing or how they disagree with us because their life is so honorable. And it points to Christ. That's what we're called to do. Live as people who are free. What he's saying is you're not, you're not under obligation to do anything Except if you've submitted your life to Christ, then you get to follow him. And if you follow him, then you're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from the authority that sin had over your life. And you can live in a way where God is honored, where you are honored, where you love one another. And he says it again, just in case it's not clear. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Let me say this quick as well. When I was going through some of this, I came across this quote, and I thought this was really good. Kyle Eidelman said it this way, the most effective way to approach and engage our culture is to live our lives in such a way that the prejudices of those people don't hold up and that eventually they will be won over by our actions. As the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church must become increasingly holy. And part of holiness, according to Peter, is to submit to governing authorities. And what I think that will do is, is when we submit to people what we disagree with, the world's going to look at that and go, well, how can you do that? How can you disagree with them and yet submit to them? That doesn't make any sense to me. And what we can show people is that we can live in community with people that are different than us and have different beliefs. And that's so important, especially as Christians, that we do that. Our world teaches you disagree with me, you hate me. You disagree with me, you're oppressive towards me. And we need to change that. And we need to be, as Kyle Ottoman says, our, the church, as the world gets more hostile, we need to become more holy. Pointed more at Christ. Pointed more at the obedience that he has called us to do. And as we talked about in the previous texts, is it says very clearly, here's what God's will is for you, to be obedient to what he has called you to do. Right? Not in, the, not in the minute details of what job should I have, uh, where should I live, who should I marry, but in the idea of anything that is a moral thing that God has told us to do, we are called to be obedient to that. And if we do that, the rest of our lives will start to take shape. But then we get to verses 18 through the end, and again, there's some very difficult implications in here too. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. So, there's slavery happening uh, in this point. Now, this slavery in, in the Roman Empire uh, is different than kind of what we immediately think of. Uh, but nonetheless, it's not based on race necessarily, but it was based on position. And there were people that were under their masters. And Peter says to them, be good and gentle. Or sorry, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And this is where it gets difficult, is we can be really reasonable to people that treat us reasonably. But when people treat us unreasonably or unjustly, we want to fight back. That's just a normal thing within us, right? How many of you had kids? You ever heard that's not fair before? Is we can say that to God all we want. 
But God has a huge, big-picture idea of what's happening throughout the course of history. And sometimes in that one situation, in that one moment, it can feel like, this isn't fair. But my parents told me lots of times, well, Greg, it isn't fair. Just deal with it. That's just the way life is. Sometimes things happen that aren't good. And so Peter's saying to them, even if your master is unjust, even if your master is abusive, even if your master is unreasonable, you are to submit to them, be subject to them. And then he explains why. And this is the crazy part. It is a gracious thing when mindful of Christ one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And he actually says, if you suffer you know, you did wrong and you suffer for it, but you endure, what's the point? It matters nothing. But if you do it, if you, if you endure while you are suffering unjustly, it is a gracious thing. Notice the verse in verse 19. When mindful of God, when we are enduring hardships and pain and difficulty, when we're focused on Christ, that brings glory and honor to God. And again, that's not an easy thing. But then the question is going to come up, how, or how does enduring unfair treatment, how does that bring glory to God? Well, again, it goes back to verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. You're not doing it, you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for God. And what God has called you to do, even when it's hard and painful and difficult, when you submit to him and when you do what he calls you to do, it's a blessed thing for God and for us as well. But then there's this verse, and this gets, again, difficult. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. It actually says that you have been called, you and I have been called to suffer. Don't like that. That's a hard thing. To look at that, to read scripture, and to say we have been called to suffer. And and just a few verses later, in 419, and we're not going to We're going to deal with this in a couple of weeks, but just to prove the point here, he says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We, there are times in our life that have been ordained for us to suffer so that God is glorified, so that people can see it and go, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? And that points to Christ, not to us. Because it's easy to fight for us. It's easy to say, this isn't fair, and I'm going I'm to take matters into my own hands. But look at the example that is given in Christ. He has given you an example. Verse 21. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he, reviled, or when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Then here's why. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. To him who judges justly. That is a very difficult thing for us to recognize, and maybe intellectually we can do this, is that only God is just and that God will have the final word and that God will make all wrongs right and we can entrust him to that, but then sometimes when something comes our way that wrongs us, we go, no, 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 I'm taking my vengeance now because that's easier because it's easier to fight back. John Piper says that one of the best reasons to not retaliate is because only God is good enough to settle all accounts justly. 
I've said this lots before, but this is just a reality of our life, is, is when things wrong us, we want vengeance, but when we wrong somebody else, we want mercy. That's just how the world works. Usually in our own minds, we can justify exactly why we did what we did. And even if we recognize that it was wrong, we have a list of reasons of, of why we did it, even though it was wrong. Uh, fellas, how many times have you gotten in an argument with your wife and then said, I'm sorry, but? That doesn't work, guys. Just for the record. It's like going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry, but I had a better way than you. I'm sorry, God, but I'm smarter than you. Like, that's literally what we're saying. We need to take ownership and we need to say, God, this thing that I did, this was wrong. I need forgiveness. I need to change, move on. God offers us mercy, and so we are called to offer others mercy. Why? Because Christ made that example for us. While Christ was being dragged to the cross to be crucified, he had all authority and he did not have to even suffer, but he knew he had, called, he had been called to the earth for this moment so that our sins could be forgiven because we could not do it on our own. Scripture teaches us that when we come face to face with God, because we have sin in our life, and, and we can try and argue all we want that we don't have sin in our life, but again, if you're a parent and you have a child, you've seen that sin really young. You don't have to teach someone how to misbehave. You've got to teach them how to behave. That's just reality. And when we stand face to face with God, we stand guilty because we have sinned. James says that if we've broken the law at even one point, then we're guilty of breaking all of it. And so we stand before God condemned, but God looks at us and he says, I'm going to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take the pain and the suffering and the penalty of your sin so that you can find forgiveness. And so Peter has said, because of all of these things, because of the example that Jesus has set for you, if you choose to accept that forgiveness, then you're choosing a life to follow after Christ. And here's what it looks like. It's not easy. It's painful. It hurts. Sometimes we feel that things don't get done the way that we would like them to do. And that's reality, because imagine if we got everything we wanted. Imagine what would happen if we actually got everything that we wanted. But here's the thing. Our suffering, Paul talks about this in Romans 8. And he says he doesn't even count or consider comparing the present sufferings that he had with the glory that's to come with Christ in eternity. And this is someone who's been beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and abused and threatened and imprisoned more than most of us could ever imagine. And he goes, none of this is even worth comparing with what's coming. And that's the reality. If we can put our eyes focused on Christ, then we can realize that even the hurt that I'm facing now, it doesn't make the hurt any less, but it does give us perspective and realize that this that we're facing now is not going to even be worth comparing when glory comes. I want you to flip to Philippians Paul says it a slightly different way here in chapter 3. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Notice that again. For his sake, it's for Christ's sake that he's lost everything. For his sake, the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Then he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. He talks about his desire to know Christ in this intimate way, and part of that is he says, I'm going to suffer. And he actually says, I want to share in that suffering. Because in suffering, we find perspective. And this is just the reality that we all have to face, is in times of heartache and in pain, those are the moments where we realize that God's the one reaching down to hold us. We're not the ones reaching up to him. And it can be so easy to think, especially if you've grown up in the church, it can be so easy to think, man, I'm pretty good, and I, I deserve forgiveness because I haven't really rebelled or I haven't, haven't done that or my neighbor has done this and I, I would never do that. It's so easy to start to compare it that way and all that does is feed our ego and make God smaller. The reality is if we're alone long enough and we were to examine our own hearts, our own hearts long enough, we would see so much stuff in there that we know shouldn't be there. One of the challenges in our culture is that it's so fast-paced that we don't slow down to take time to evaluate our own hearts and our own souls. We just go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. But if we take time, if we take time to examine our own hearts and to look, we find ourselves at a place of desperation because we know that we need something more. The scriptures even says that creation itself just, just screams to us that there is a God, but we're so busy trying to accomplish that we don't even slow down to look. And if here in this part of the world we can't slow down to look, where can we? We are called that as we suffer, that as the government stands maybe in a direction that we don't believe or we think is wrong, we can follow God's rule. We can follow after what Scripture says, and yet we can submit to our leadership. And we can reasonably and respectfully tell them why we disagree, and there may be consequences for that. And we may think they're unjust, but God tells us right here through what Peter says, that when you suffer unjustly, but you endure, it's a blessed thing. So we have to remember that. He himself, Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Here's this identity bit again. Is why has Jesus died on the cross for us? So that we could find, be found forgiven of our sin, but so that we could put to death the old self. So that I could look towards what's good and what's right and what is holy. The implications in this text uh, are what I said a couple of weeks ago, is the more that I read the Bible, the more I see it this way, is we're less important than God is more important. What this text is telling us is you might not like it. You might not like what's happening in your culture. You might not like what's happening in your city. You might not like, hap like what's happening anywhere. But 
It's not about you. It's about God. And God is doing something in this. And we can't always understand why. But we're to submit to that anyway, even if it means suffering. Even if it means going through pain and hurt. Again, Kyle Eidelman says it this way. The next time that we want to retaliate, can we just remember that Jesus didn't retaliate? The next time we are tempted to trade insult for insult, can we remember Jesus on the cross praying, Father, forgive them? The next time we go on a social media rant, can we just push pause long enough to remember how Jesus handled some of these things? Let's just be content to let God set some of these things right in his time. The early church sets the example for us. They flourished because under intense persecution, they let their love silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I said this before, but Jesus says to us, that the world will know that we're Christians by what? Specifically what? By the love that we have for one another. We're called to be in this family together because on my own, I would crumble under this pressure. But knowing that I have brothers and sisters that will come to my aid, that will help me, that will hold me accountable, that will call me out on things, all because we're trying to become more like Christ, if we live as a family in that way, how our lives would radically change. The world right now, according to Psychologist is the loneliest generation that has ever existed, even though we're more connected than ever before. My argument would be that if we really were the church the way that the church is meant to be, we would not find loneliness ever, and the, the hurting world around us would desperately come to us to say, we need purpose and meaning. How do we find it? Not in a job, not in a family, not in your spouse. Those things are good things. I'm not trying to say they're not. But our purpose and our meaning comes from Christ alone. Only in him. For it's by his wounds that we have been healed. Notice again the idea of suffering. And so Paul understands he wants to share in that suffering because as he experiences more of what Christ experienced, his heart will become more close to Christ. And I would say the same thing of us. And this is a dangerous thing to ask for. But if we say we want to be more like Christ, we've got to go through the things that Christ went through. We've got to face the pain, the hurt, the rejection. We've got to face the unjust treatment. All because our life and our hope is built not here on the earth. And so it doesn't matter if the world is fair to us. It doesn't matter how much hurt and pain and struggling we go through here. Because in eternity we'll, always, we'll be with God forever. And we won't even compare those two. Eternity will be far greater. So as we transition into a time of communion, I want us to just consider the reality here that Jesus Christ comes to the earth for that purpose, to die on the cross, and yet the hurt and the pain that he endured caused him to cry out to his Father, if there's another way, provide it. Even Christ, in, in his moments of suffering and pain, felt the same things that we feel. And yet he said, but not my will be done, yours be done. And so as we take communion, and if communion is new to you, we're just, we hand out uh, these cracker type things that represent um,
Christ's body, which is broken for us. Uh, the juice in there represents Christ's blood, which forgave our sin and gave us a chance at redemption. And so as we pass those things out and as you hold them, I just want you to consider for, for these few moments just the immensity, the price that Christ paid. The suffering that he went through because of his desperate love for you. And sometimes that can be a big picture thing where we look at it and look, Christ loved the whole world. Well, that's true, but Scripture seems to teach that this is a personal thing. And that his love that compelled him to hang on the cross and die a terribly awful death was because of his love for you. And so I just want us to consider those things. So let's pray and then I'll read from 1 Corinthians. God, thank you for what this text in Peter says. And God, it's not easy. There's, it's full of implications that we don't like. But God, would we surrender our hearts to you and would we submit to the authorities that exist for your sake? We don't know why you have allowed things to happen the way that you have allowed, but we believe and we trust and we submit to the fact that you are sovereign and you have purpose in everything. God, as we open up the passage on communion, as we consider the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for our sins, may that impact our hearts and our minds to know how desperately we are loved by the creator of the universe. And God, as it says in our text here, help us to endure what we're facing because we know that you are just and we know that you will make all wrongs right. God, we love you. We thank you. Amen. Just going to call up the guys who are just going to help with communion here and you can turn in the scripture to 1 Corinthians. This is in chapter 11, verse 23 of Corinthians. We read this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Like I said, our world is so fast-paced. This is one of these moments where we try and just take a few minutes to, just to hold the bread for a few minutes, hold the cup for a few minutes. Remember the price that Jesus paid for our freedom. Because if we can dwell on these words and we can remember how much Christ loves us, that can change how we live. But if we're too busy, if we're too busy to remember Christ, how are we ever going to live like him? So let me just pray for the bread, and then the guys are going to pass out the bread. And I would just ask you just to hold it in your hand for a few minutes while everyone receives it. And then, and then when they get back to the front, then we'll eat together. And the reminder again that this just represents Christ's body that was broken for us. God, thank you so much for your plan of salvation. And so God, as we pass out the bread now, 
And as we hold it in our hands, would we consider the cost that Jesus gave his life for us, but that he did it willingly because of his love for us. May this impact our hearts this morning, God. Amen. This represents Christ's body broken for us. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. God, as we pass out the cup now and as we hold that in our hands, may we be reminded that it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can find salvation. God, may we consider the love that you have for us. And may we consider the price that Christ paid, but may we also be reminded that we don't just eat this to celebrate that which has happened, but that which you promised to do is that Christ will come again, that all wrongs will be made right, and that because of Jesus' blood, we have hope, and we have hope for eternity.
Again, this represents Jesus' blood spilled for us for the redemption of sins. Let's drink in remembrance of him. God, as we get ready to go from this place back to the normal routines that we have, and the jobs and the families, and the different things that you have called us to do, would we consider what the text has said to us this morning and, and would we live in such a way that honors you so completely that even when people revile us, that we can put them to silence because of our actions. Not because of anything we're able to do, but because we can live in the power of your Holy Spirit. And you can cause us to live in a way that the world looks at, doesn't understand, and wants to be a part of. God, help us to do all these things in the name of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We love you. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>